Hallelujah. Praise God. How do I want to do this, Jesus? Praise God. Let's turn our Bibles today to 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 17 and 18. This is speaking about Moses. It talks about how Moses has seen God. He unveils God, but Israel, because of their inability to look beyond their circumstances and really see God, that they are blinded. And that veil over Moses' face, over the law, is still there today. And so in verse 17 it says, Now the Spirit, now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, somebody say all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image. Somebody say change into, not into different, but the same the same image. And then it says, from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. So in other words, it tells us, really what it's telling us is that what we see causes change to take place in our life. And whatever you are looking through or whatever you are viewing, whatever you set before you is what you become. Kind of like in Genesis where Joseph, uh, where Jacob prayed and God gave him a dream. And he was watching over his father-in-law's flocks and his father-in-law had all solid cows and solid animals. But God gave Jacob a dream. And he said, if you'll take a stick and you'll notch it, when the animals come to drink, what they would do is when they see that rod, they will begin to produce spotted animals. Well, Jacob goes to Laban, Laban, Laban and he says, look, I've worked for you all of these years. Now you connive me to marry the ugly sister before the good-looking sister. And I owned up to it, and I took the ugly one to get to the pretty one. But... You've given me very little as my wages. So I'm going to make a deal to you. From now on, whatever is spotted, I get, and I will tend to yours that are solid. Well, Laban said, hey, no problem. Seems to me this is a wash. You know, everything produced after its own kind, and that's true. And so what happened, God intervenes. And sure enough, whatever Jacob put in front of them the cows, the oxen, the lambs, the sheep, and the goats all begin to take up on the nature of what was set before them. So whatever we set before us, negative or positive, we are going to see ourselves. And what we're going to do is we are going to become what we see, right? Amen. Come up here, Larry. Now, I haven't talked to you today or anything like that, right? Or 10 years before or anything like that. 
I want you to look through these and I want you to tell me what you see yourself as. Huh? You need further out? You need him further out? What's he? Can I have that up on the screen there? Uh, yeah, here's what Larry is seeing right now. He's seeing because of his insecurities, lack of confidence in who he is, what he can do, and where he can go, he sees hopelessness. He sees no source. He had, doesn't think he's smart enough. He has failure. He says, who can help me? He's always looking for somebody else. He feels he has un unworking faith. He has insecurities. It, he has to look to himself as his own source. He is imparalyzed or uh, paralyzed by fear. And is God really able to do anything in his situation? Thank you, Larry. Now, this is one viewpoint. This usually comes from Christians. Christians that have insecurities even after they have contacted God. So I need somebody else. Joe Recker, come up here. So, let me see. I want Joe to see. All right, Joe, I want you to look through those right there. Now, Joe has no confidence, but... He's never been associated with God, so all he can do is think whatever the devil feeds him because the devil understands that if I can put it in front of Joe, Joe will become what I say. So Job is going to become, you aren't worthy. He's going to constantly remind him of his past failures. He's constantly going to be reminding Job, nobody loves you let alone God. He can't, he's going to say things like, God wouldn't hear you if you did pray. Self-unforgiveness. Joe, you did a lot of things wrong in your life. Would you forgive people? Well, no, of course I wouldn't. Well, you won't be forgiven either. What God, what has God done for you? Well, Joe, since he's blinded by darkness, doesn't see anything that God did for him. So it's important. Thank you, Joe. It's important what you look through. Could it get an amen? Now, a lot of people think that it's just, well, you know, that's just, you know, human nature. Some people are like this and some, no, no, no. We have, without a shadow of a doubt, a divine law that is laid out here. That whatever you see before you, you will become. You will become. I read a story the other day about this great, magnificent American bald eagle. You know, I mean, these things are massive. You know that they can go and they will knock a goat off of a cliff so the goat falls and kills himself, and then he will go down and lay hold of that goat and carry that goat up to his nest or her nest. Well, they found this little bald eagle and uh, it was injured but it was little so they took it to a guy they knew and all they knew was he was a chicken farmer so they took this bald eagle to this chicken farmer 
chicken farmer said, well, yeah, I was throwing him in there. So he throws the chicken, the bald eagle, in with the chicken. Now realize that usually eagles eat chickens. But this eagle, being young, began to eat chicken food. He just began to eat grain. He ate everything that the chickens ate. And pretty soon, he walked like a chicken. He didn't cackle like a chicken, but he walked like a chicken, ate like a chicken. So one day, a conservationist, a wildlife conservationist comes along. He says, do you know it's illegal to have that bald eagle? He said, well, I didn't know. Somebody just brought him over, so I just threw him in there. He said, uh, has he ever tried to fly away? He said, no. He said, okay. Now, there is no top on the chicken fence or anything like that. They just live there because they get well fed. Well, that eagle, though he was superior to the chickens, which everything is, everything just tastes like chicken, but anything can beat a chicken. And uh, anyway, the conservationist took the bald eagle. Now, the bald eagle is now full mature. And he takes him and he gets him on his hand and he throws him up in the air and he hits the ground and just starts walking around like a chicken. So then he gets a bright idea, I must not have been high enough. So he takes him up on top of a barn. Guess what? The eagle doesn't fly. He just hits the ground. Now, by this time, I'm sure the eagle's saying, if that guy grabbed me one more time, well, you know what? The eagle just got up, started walking like a chicken. So finally, the conservationist drives the eagle up to the mountains. And he's going to throw him off the edge of the mountain because he knows who that eagle really is. The eagle doesn't know who he really is. The farmer doesn't know who he really is. The other chickens just think he's deformed. They have no idea that one day he may return and eat them. So this guy drives up to the mountains and he gets up there and he puts him on his hand and all of a sudden the wind begins to come up the wall of that mountain and begins to hit that eagle and he begins to spread his wings and all of a sudden without flapping them the wind begins to lift him and all of a sudden the eagle launches out over the edge of the mountain and soars away, never to be seen again. See, whatever you put in front of you is what you're going to become. Whatever you put in front of you is what you're going to become. Lois, stand up here. Now, these are the glasses that God sees people in. And when you look through these glasses, you see something. And this is what causes transformation to take place in your life. The Lord is my shepherd. He's my shield. 
I'm more than a conqueror. Now, these are not things you're going to become. These are things you are. My eyes are upon, his eyes are upon me. I am victorious. He meets all of my needs. I'm the apple of God's eyes. I can do all things. He loves me like he loved Christ. He is my high tower, my shield, my refuge. Whom shall I fear? Thank you, Lois. I know you want them, but yeah. I got, I got to return them to Phyllis. Hallelujah. No. So what we realize is that whatever set of glasses that you look through, that's who you are. But let's turn back to time and let's say this. Whatever you've been looking through is who you are. If you're insecure, if you're a workaholic, if you're an alcoholic, if you are steeped in sensual sins, whatever you are, it is because of what you've been looking at. I want to talk to you today about we live in a world of multiple identities. We live in a world that, believe it or not, is in the midst of an identity crisis. What is an identity crisis? It is when a person is uncertain or becomes confused in that which he has been doing and begins to be dominated by things that are uncertain. He begins to be dominated by what he feels. Now, this is in the dictionary, so you can look it up. He begins to be dominated by actions of other people. He begins to be dominated by that which he is experiencing. So what happens is that people get into identity crisis because they look at things that are unsure and they depend on them. Have you ever just come out of church and been feeling like, hey, praise God, I'm an overcomer. Boy, what a great message. Now, most people who leave this church might not say that, but they go out and they, oh, man, I'm a world conqueror. All of a sudden, you have a flat tire. While you're having a flat tire, you slam on your brakes and baby vomits and hits the back of your head. And the wife starts yelling at you the hundred reasons why you should have done what I told you to do when I told you to do it. Now your identity is beginning to change because your circumstances have changed. This is nothing but ident identity puppetry where the devil uses everything that is opposed to God for his benefit so you can become opposed to God. Very deceptive, but it's very basic 101. And so we have these identity crises. Another word for it is simply this. Typically, identity crisis comes... Listen, please, listen. Listen to these words. Because many of you are on the slippery slope of an identity crisis. 
An identity crisis usually comes, according to the dictionary, when there is change in their expected or planned aims or when they do not measure up to what they think they should be according to society. So, people are in an identity crisis, kind of like this. You know, a child is born and uh, the, the kid just loves water. Any of you ever have kids that love water? You know, they play in the toilet, they, they do it, they just love water. You know your kids have been there. Praise God. Loosen up. Hallelujah. All right. So they love water. You can't keep them out of the water. I mean, they're in the horse trough. They're in the pig trough. They're in the dog trough. They're in the toilet. They're everywhere. If it rains, they're in the mud. But then one day, they go too far out on the sandy beach of your pond. And they get out there. And pretty soon, they're bobbing. Pretty soon, they didn't bob toward shore. They bobbed away from shore. And then they're taking in water, coming up. And all of a sudden, right before the three count, Grandpa's hand grabs their hair and brings them up and says, What's wrong with you? Oh, I don't know. Oh, Grandpa, I'm, I'm so sorry. Now, they become fearful of water. Total identity. They could never be a swimming coach. They could never be a diving coach. They could really never be associated with any water. Never going to work being a lifeguard unless they just expect everybody to drown while they're getting a tan. The problem is, is their identity has been changed because of a crisis that has risen up. Could again, amen. Well, sometimes when people are unsure or they've missed a mark or they've failed, what they do is they re-identify their self. Re-identify yourself. And so identities can be changed in the moment of time. And we could see that when an identity is changed, guess what? Careers are altered. Lives are altered. All types of changes take place. Now, this is a constant struggle for the believer. We live in this world of multiple identities in everybody. You know you have multiple identities. You know that? What do you do for sports? Oh, so you play football. Uh, you pretty good at it? I would say so. He only plays in first grade with first graders. But, you, but now you've had an identity change. You are now a husband. Your responsibilities have changed. Your boundaries have changed. If you haven't noticed, your conversation has changed. And all your motivations are please her or live in misery. Kind of sum your marriage up so far this week? Okay. Now, what I want you to get to see is that we're constantly going through identity changes. But the problem is, is that we do not evaluate who or what is being put in front of us 
to be changed like. There are all types of different types of husbands. There are abusive husbands. There are cheating husbands. There are lazy husbands. Fellas, don't call in. They ain't answering you. Hallelujah. Uh, do nothing husbands. You know, uh, you know, slave-minded husbands. You know, all kinds of husbands. There are good ones, bad ones, stinky ones. You know, the Bible says that when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. Women, you're taking a chance because there is no guarantee what you're finding. <laughs> so we have to realize that he has a new identity, but in that identity, there are all types of reflections of that identity. And in Christianity, there are all types of reflections of the Christian identity. But what we want to do is we want to make sure that we submit to the right identity because there's always a struggle. Kind of like Bruce Wayne and Batman. Are they the same person? Sure. Do they have different responsibilities? Sure. Is there always a struggle? Sure. Clark Kent in the telephone booth. Some of you don't even know what a telephone booth is. <laughs> Consider a flip phone with a door that you could go into. Go and come down. And Superman. Well, Superman can't do what Clark Kent can do. Clark Kent can't do what Superman can do. But they're dependent upon each other. And they must be blended together in a wise way or they will destroy one of the identities that has been given as a birthright. Jesus had multiple identities. Isaiah, when he comes out of the wilderness, he opens up the book and he reads, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He hath anointed me. And he goes on down, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he says, this day is this scripture, this identity of who you're looking for is fulfilled. I am he. I said, there's something wrong with that kid. He's Joseph's son. Oh, and he's the son of Mary that's waiting at the door. And the son of this guy and this girl. And he's all the brothers of these people. What's he talking about? He come from heaven. Jesus was a healer. He was a provider. He was a storm destroyer. He was a tomb robber. He had multiple identities in his life. But by wisdom, they all gelled together to glorify God. He didn't have any insecurities. Peter, not only did he have different identities, he had aliases. Thou art the rock. Thou art the betrayer. Thou art the denier. But, Peter, feed my sheep. And all of these identities, though they're struggling to take a place, they're all rooted in his love for Christ. How does he, well, see, you want to define people by one moment. 
Moments come and go. They're about as cheap as seconds. You can't judge anything by one moment because it's probably a glimpse to the greatest deception that we have ever seen. And that's the fake identity that people put on when they're in front of us. Hmm. Each identity has its place and its importance. Each identity has its place and its purpose. And if we do not have an identity, we will not have a purpose. Realize that whatever identity that we desire the most, it will be the dominant one that reflects itself and rules over the other. Thank you. Hallelujah. It's kind of like a college students. You know, we send them off. Well, they're an adult now. <laughs> Jeez, you ain't even smart enough not to keep their underwear on. They aren't smart enough to keep up their prayer life. Oh, yes, my son, my son, said the deceived parent. Your son and your daughter is no different than anybody else's. You're sending them into a line of dens that you know is godless. Teaching everything contrary to what you have laid inside of them. And you're happy to pay your $30,000 a year to send them off and have them become an idiot. And the reason I say they're an idiot is not because they are not rocket scientists. is that they have lost their faith in God. But you've paid for that identity. You're praying against it, but you're paying for it. But you're putting more of what they're producing in front of your kids than what you're praying for your kids. And you're getting back home just what you sent away to get. An atheist with an education. Don't get mad at me. I'm, I'm just telling you the track. Do you know that college kids don't even know who they are? Oh, yes, they do. They, they know I'm not. Right. That's why in four years, the average college student changes their major three times, and most of those that change their majors three times end up making a four-year college term a five-year college term. So it doesn't just cost you $120,000 for their education. Now you've added another $30,000 so they can find their self. Now why aren't they, why don't they know who they are? Because they're looking for it. They're looking for it. So we send them off to colleges. So what they do is in four-year period of term, they change their identity three times at our expense. Now, when they change that identity, well, I was going to major in a, a nurse, but uh, being a nurse RN, but I'm going to now go into uh, being a doctor. Now, everything about their identity has changed. Their friends have changed. Their conversations have changed. What they eat have changed. Their sleep habits have changed. Why? Because the identity that they are pursuing is transforming everything about them. That's why I said that it's important because whatever identity you desire, 
is what is going to transform your life. It's going to control you, and it's going to, de- and it's going to change your desires, your motives, your strengths, your commitment. Everything is going to be altered by the identity that you choose. And so in four-year period of time, this rocket science that is coming home to you has changed their identity behind your back three times besides the one they went in with. So every 12 months, your kid is turning into a new lizard, a new chameleon. It's shedding its skin to find out who it really is. But are you against education? Absolutely not. I'm not against education. But give me a man that knows God and went to the first grade than a million men that have graduated and do not believe in God. Now you would think, oh, that's just an insult. That's not an insult. That's a reality to the very necessity of the need of every man and woman and child on planet Earth. An educated atheist is not worth much. But a stupid believer can change the world with the gospel. They said these were ignorant men, yet they took notice they had been with Jesus. Would you rather have been called a scholar or a disciple? I want to be a disciple. Yeah. Because I'm running around with a God that knows everything. Why do I want to run around with people that are scraping the surface? All right. So, so we have to understand that whatever we pursue, whatever identity is important to us, that's the one that you are going to follow. And that's the one you are going to emanate to other people. That's what they're going to see you like. Amen? Now, I would like to say that that ends at college, (laughs) but it doesn't. Because it is deeply steeped in adults too. Deeply. Men forget who they are, so they become unfaithful. Causing divorce, forcing an identity upon someone that causes great economical pressure and great insecurities in their life. You take a woman and now she's divorced. Who am I? Where am I now? Well, you were married. Now you're a single parent. A what? I I didn't want this. I know it. But people all around you can cause you to enter into places of identity that you never wanted to go. I didn't want to go there yet, God. When the woman that sleeps with the husband, the first thing she has to do is say, I don't care about your identity. I don't care about your wife's identity. I don't care about your children's identity. I just want you. Now, I think that's horrible. 
But think about the man or woman that's a Christian here today. And they are married to someone that has been identified as a brother or sister in the Lord. Let's say that you were married after you were saved. That means that you had or you should have married someone in the faith. That means now they are your brother and sister in the Lord. But the problem is husbands and wives get so familiar that they begin to reject the identity of the one that God put in their house to care for. And you start talking down to them. You start finding things that are not good about them. What you're doing is simply this. I hate God who you gave me. I hate the divine creation that you molded in my spouse before the foundations of the earth, and I can't stand it to be around me. That's what you're saying. You don't spend time with them. You're too busy. Don't want to be around. We have nothing in common. What are you? You are rebelling and causing an identified believer that was your brother or sister, and you knew that Jesus gave his life for them, and you're treating them like something that they are not because your identity towards them has changed because of your feelings. So when God said, no, I say they're strong, you say, well, I say they're weak. Well, I say, I, I, I say that, that, that they're the apple of my eye. I say, I don't care for them. Now, you're saying all that. I don't care how you want to spell it out. I don't care how ingenious you want to be. I'm just telling you that's what you're saying. Look at yourself in the mirror and see if you are the enemy of God's identity in your spouse. Now, this is going to end the first part of our mass. No. You do it when you talk about a brother. You do it when you talk about a minister. You do it anytime you say something negative about a redeemed person. Remember, Jesus said, don't judge another man's servant. He don't belong to you. You have no right to enter into those fields. In fact, you're forbidden to take away from or to scrutinize another man's identity because in that little moat that you have, you found in his eye that little stick, there's a whole forest fell to the ground in your life. Amen. Let me tell you something. This is serious stuff. Now, we don't want to preach about it because sometimes it makes... Every identity has responsibilities. I'm just telling you that whatever you've been looking through, you know, the Bible says that if, if you find anything unclean in your wife, that you could give her a writing of divorcement because it caused the hardness of your heart. So if you hardened yourself and are not in love with your wife anymore, what I want to know is this. If you found some uncleanness in her, just how dirty are you?
These are the places where our knees must hit the ground and cry, mercy, God. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Because, remember, what you sow is what you're going to reap. It's kind of like, how do I want to say this? Uh, uh, we find our identities in almost everything but God. A mother finds it in how successful her children are compared to another family's. Don't compare them. Your children aren't theirs. They couldn't have handled your children. And if your children were with anybody else's, they wouldn't make it. But God put them in your hands. Don't worry about momentary wrecks. There might be a race car driver behind that wreck. Let it run its course. Stay faithful. Stay true. Let them run to the end of their life. And at the end of their life, they're going to say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because it's not in what they're doing through life. It's really how they're prepared at the end of their life. Amen. And so sometimes then when women get into this, they get condemned. Well, my kid's not this and my kid's not that. God never asked you to make them like theirs. All God did was this. Believe in me. So no matter what your children do from the time that you tell them what to do for God... Anything can happen. Why? Because they're transforming these glasses every day. We're sending them to college. They're going into the workplace. They're joining themselves with people that we wish that God hadn't even been born. We're, we're, look, they're changing all the time. They're looking at different pairs of glasses. One day they come home in the, dressed all in the black. What is that? Goth. They come in goth. Next, next week they come home dressed in white with a rainbow of flowers on their head. They're going to join the commune. And my kids went crazy. They have become you when you were their age. Was there hope for you? Well, now you're saved. Yes. So what you can't do is get so upset <clears throat> about everything that the devil's doing that you forget that you put a pair of glasses in their coat pocket when they went home and realized someday they're going to pull them out and they're going to see coming to me all ye that are heavy laden and they're going to come they may be laying on a couch about to OD they may be drunk out of their mind they may be in a wreck they may be in a, a, a sex movie I don't know where they are it doesn't matter one day they're going to reach here and they're going to pull those glasses out and they're going to come home. Your job as a parent, do not make your children like everybody else. Just believe God. Could I get an amen? Just believe God. Me and my household, they will be saved. Let the process of salvation be God's hand, not yours. Amen. Amen.
Some people look and say, oh, my word. Man, man, my, I wish I had a husband like theirs. <laughs> Your husband comes home and he's drunk. He's slobbering all over you, appalling you. Her husband has become a eunuch by choice. So which do you want? A drunk sex maniac or a eunuch that doesn't want anything to do with you? I hate to say this. Give me a drunk woman. I, I, I'm just telling you the truth. I don't want a unique, unique woman, cold as ice, willing to sacrifice our love. That's that old man. I'm sorry. Get back in there, you devil. Now, so she thinks her husband is, oh, he, he's terrible. He never goes to church. Lady down the street, man, her husband shows up. Gets the oil and dirt out from under his nails every Sunday. He's standing there, looks like a deacon of the month every Sunday, buddy. Every hair in line and all that. And a woman could think, man, I failed. Look at what I ended up with. Is your identity in your husband's alcoholicism? Alcoholism? Is your husband... Is your identity in that he's not providing? Is your identity in because your roof leaks and hers doesn't? Where is your identity? Is it in God or is it in your circumstance? Stop letting where you are define you and embrace who you are in God. How about the people that get saved? I hear this all the time. Pastor, I feel so bad. Man, we, we got saved, but our children were already out in the world. Re we raised them in a non-Christian home. What are we supposed to do? Believe God. Nothing is impossible to him. Jacob ran away from God. He didn't believe anything, didn't want anything to do with God. Ran smack dab into him. Don't worry about where they are. Just know that God's hand is not short, that it cannot save. And he'll grab them by the scuff of the neck one day, and they're going to come to Christ because their identity is changing all the time. Maybe their wife is going to be pregnant and have triplets. <laughs> That'll make you pray. So <laughs> they may never have prayed, but they get three babies. Be, you don't want makes babies, right? If you have three of them, you'll be a praying man. But sometimes we get our identities from circumstances that reflect what we think is everybody else's success. Don't ever do that. Don't compare yourself to nobody. You are who you are, and you are in the battle where God has placed you. Some people get their identity from work. They work. They become famous. That's great. But if Jesus is not involved in your work, you've just been working for money. And that is the lowest form of existence of humanity. But see, your job is to be that you work it as unto the Lord. That means your job has to be governed that it doesn't possess you. It has to be used 
to fund the identity that God has called you to walk in. But if you sacrifice your family, your friends, and your kids, what identity were you? A family destroyer. What else would you be? The faithful dad? You never went to the ball game, never had time. A faithful husband? You never show up at house. And the neighbors don't even know who they are. They think that the woman next door is having an affair with somebody. Because they don't even know if she's married because you ain't there half the time. Is that how we're supposed to work? No, your job, you're supposed to work at is unto the Lord. Your job is your mission field, and it's not your source. You're trying to have an, an identity of greatness. You'll die in, in sorrow and poverty, and nobody will even remember your name when it's all said and done. You don't ever let your job define you. Some people say, well, what would you do if, if you didn't pastor? I said, I'd go to Walmart and open doors. This, this church is not my identity. I was born again, blood-bought, redeemed, set in heavenly places. I was preaching on street corners before we ever had a foundation. What's this church got to do with who I am? It is one of my identities, but I have many I'll go home today and Phil will call me. You forgot to take out the trash. I'm the forgetter. <laughs> Honey, you got to do those dishes before you leave for your meeting tonight. So I'm a dishwasher. I have many hats. And this is the least controlling one of them. Don't let your work identify you. And then people that get divorced. I'm a divorcee. Don't hang your head. Maybe you just found some place that God didn't want you. Oh, you're condoning divorce. That's not what I said. Don't stretch the truth. I tell you, I think divorce stinks, destroys families, people, souls, wounds, spirits. I think it's horrible. And the only reason that people get divorced is because there are hearts that God can't touch. That's it. Now, so people come and say, well, I'm divorced. Okay, lift your head up. I wouldn't say I was divorced. I'd say I'm single and available. I mean, I've changed my identity. I'm good looking, single and divorced. <laughs> and a guy gave me the house when he left. That makes you more palatable. Or the guy, look. Stop looking down at yourself because you went through a failure. That's not who you are. That's a moment you went through. But it's not who you are. Amen. So let's not let our carts get so topsy-turvy with things that the world, the devil tries to enhance or put up on us. Let me read this story. I'm going to close. A couple years ago, while my family was making a quick trip to the department store, one of our children started losing control. Our little boy began to struggle with a verbal, aggressive outburst as his little mind seemed to turn into someone else. That was nothing new for us because we'd been seeking help for years for his condition. But it made me 
freshly aware of our struggle as I saw in the eyes of all those around us casting silent but loud judgment. Get your child in control. Clearly, there is no discipline in that house. If that were my child, they would never behave that way in the store. As I felt my motherhood being clearly judged, defined, I turned to the one woman who had been casting a disapproving look and explained, don't you judge me. You have no idea of the challenges that we live with every day. I had had it with those dirty looks, those silent judgments, and that, that so often that I felt from those around me. My very identity as a mother was being challenged, and I was not okay with that. While this woman could not have been more gracious, this woman could have been more gracious. The real problem was that I was letting her determine my worth and my identity. She had no clue the challenges that God had entrusted our family with. Yet what, well, yet what it revealed, to, revealed in my own heart was that I was seeking after my identity of how good a mother I was rather than who I was in Jesus Christ. Even the greater sadness of the situation is that instead of being the aroma of Christ to that woman, I had lashed out at her in the midst of my identity crisis. You never know what somebody else is facing. You never know what they're struggling with. You never know the foundation they've been left or what they've built up on. You don't know they've been abused. You don't know if they've been raped. You don't know if they've been mugged. You don't know why they don't like peace, certain people, and why they don't. You just throw them all in your little basket of identities. And you, as the wisest God of the universe, identify them as something other than your brother or sister. That's wrong. Our identity is in Christ Jesus. Amen? We may go through things. Sometimes we get stuck in things. Sometimes... We don't ever come out of those things. We have to bear them. I had a lady tell me one time, said, you know, my husband and I were getting ready to uh, retire and everything, but we also have to realize that we have a child that is handicapped. We're never going to retire from being parents. I felt sorry in one aspect because they weren't Christians. But then the other aspect was that the work of God was not finished because they're still breathing. Then the other aspect was this. God has given them so much grace without knowing him. How much more will he give them when they find him? 
those people were our neighbors. They since have moved. Sometimes one of their little girls would just show up and knock on our door. Hey, can I swim in your pool? I said, your mom and dad know you're here? No, I can walk down here by myself. Okay. I said, now look, don't ever get in that pool by yourself. Well, that's why I come to ask. I said, maybe we better call your mom and dad and see if they want to swim with you. <laughs> Is that their mom and dad's fault? Oh, what they, they were doing what? Doing what you would do maybe on lazy afternoon and your eyes fell closed while you're drinking a cup of coffee, waiting to pick up her dishes from her lunch, and your eyes got heavy and you went to sleep. They weren't bad parents. They just had a moment of weariness overtake them. Let's look at people who they are in Jesus Christ. Amen? Stop listening to what other people say. And just say, well, I don't know about that. But I do know that he's been bought by the blood. I, I do know God's on the inside of him working to produce fruit on the outside of him. I, I know he belongs to God. I, I, I see him in church. I see him giving. I see him working and involved. That, that's who I see. Now, if you have run into somebody else in the dark places of your mind, I don't want to know that man. I just want to know the one that I know and I call brother. With identity becomes responsibility. Amen. Hallelujah. Every head bowed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that you would just, God, flood us. Flood us, God, with enough love that we can be accepted by you and accept our identity and that we can look through your eyes and see everyone else through that same love. The same love been stowed upon us let our eyes become your eyes. Then, God, I ask that we fulfill the responsibility of our identity. We are our brother's keeper. How could we walk by one that had fallen, one that had disconnected, one that had went astray? You yourself, Jesus, left the 99 and went after the one. Jesus, help us. Help us be like you.